Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, I'm a CMIO, and I'm the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I'm bringing you an interview with Michael Stamatinos. And Michael is the He's the founder of Advancing Healthcare Innovation Consortium, and he's been an entrepreneur. He still is an entrepreneur, and he has really good experience and insights into healthcare. Michael, welcome to the show. Mark, pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks. So, Michael, if you would kick this off for us, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into becoming a healthcare innovator. Absolutely. Well, it really all started way back when. I'm the son of two immigrant parents and my dad growing up working for my father, worked in a number of different restaurants that he owned and loved working with people to the point where I went to school to become a clinical psychologist. And after I finished and did my training, I I realized that that wasn't something that I wanted to do for the remainder of my life. However, I, I still loved working with people, loved being in healthcare and gravitated into the world of healthcare and a number of different startups, some ventures that failed miserably and learned a ton of lessons from that and took some of those little wins and started moving ahead and started making some headwinds. And here we are today with Advancing Healthcare Innovation Consortium, where really we're focused on the idea of innovation within healthcare, which for me, the the way that I define innovation is, you know, value for many. And in order for innovation to really make sense, you know, it's got to make dollars. And although I don't like that game, I realize that within healthcare, we're trying to save folks a lot of money or help folks, you know, make money. So really, we're working with a number of different stakeholders, health systems, investors, um, healthcare solutions providers to kind of really level the landscape and put people together so that we can actually make clear, definable change within healthcare and make things a little bit better. And some of the themes that we're working with now, uh, really we're, we're focused more on solutions that are being driven into health systems, surgery centers, self-funded employers, even in governments that are either aligning clinicians, improving overall efficiencies, or somehow improving all patient and employee experience, all of which have a definable ROI. And that's why I wanted you on the show, because as CMIOs, we need to be very particular about the technologies we're bringing into our health systems. We're not allowed so too many uh, oopses. So we got to pick the right ones. We need to pick the winners. And sometimes with early stage startups, as you know, some, some make it, some don't. And that can cause some credibility problems for CMIOs. So I wanted to pick your brain around this topic a little bit, but maybe first you could just tell us, in the innovation space, what are you watching? What do you think's interesting? What should we as CMIOs be thinking about? A couple thoughts around that, Mark. Really, really look at general general themes, and with the onset of COVID, you know the way that healthcare is being delivered as we know it has dramatically changed, and everyone sort of knows that fundamentally there is going to be more care that's going to be delivered to patients outside of the walls of a hospital or outside the walls of a practice. But there are certain things that are not going to change. Patients are always going to be treated 
expeditiously. If they have some sort of an ailment or are concerned, they're always going to want to get in quickly to see some sort of a provider. They're always going to want to get treated very well. So, I mean, I look at things in terms of innovation on the things that are not going to change, that are going to stay the same, and how can we make those things better? So those are some of the themes that we look into. So for example, we know that human beings get better based on the food that they ingest. Well, a lot of folks today don't have access to food. So food insecurity is a really, really big problem that quite frankly is costing our healthcare system a ton of money. Well, what are some of the innovations that are happening within that space? So we really look at some of the problem, you know, the overall problems, and then we kind of dive deeper into those problems. As it pertains to some hospital systems, what we really try to do is have conversations with people like you to understand your environment, to understand what are some of the common areas, problems that you're having that, you know, from a prioritization standpoint, what are you trying to solve right now? And how is that impacting your organization financially? And then with the healthcare startup community that we're involved with, you know, pairing those startups with the health systems that have those problems so that we know that a match is really appropriate. So it really comes down to understanding what the problem priority stack is for healthcare systems, for payers, or for you know, practices, providers, surgery centers, the likes, and understanding those problems and then being able to really dive in deep and understand solutions that you know, could potentially help in those areas. You must have a just wide open field to play in here because health systems have tons of problems. Oh, they're always looking to solve problems and we have more problems than we know how to solve. So that's, that's great. Do you find that you're playing more in the value-based care space? Or are you, do you find that, look, it's about volume, you're helping patients get access, but they're going to be getting access to services and treatments and, and that's more the volume game or mm -hmm. that value game of, hey, how do we keep them healthy with maybe not having to spend as much money? Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's short-term and long-term. In the long-term game, you know, we've seen this with the Affordable Care Act is that we want to shift from fee-for-service to value. And and that's been difficult. It's, it hasn't been easy. I think there's very, very few that are doing it really, really well and doing it that's economically viable, where the majority of folks right now are still doing fee-for-service. So you kind of have to have one foot in one area of the sandbox and another foot in the other area of the sandbox or in another sandbox. And you're kind of doing both at the same time. You can't just flip a switch and go from one to the other. It's sort of a a steady change. It's not happening fast enough for me. That's just my two cents. Uh, I'm doing that straddle. Well, there, I hate actually, it. It's schizophrenic. You know. There's actually a reason as to why it's not happening. And my thesis around this is that there's really two fundamental things that help healthcare innovation, you know, proliferate. That help it actually get adopted. And it's founded around this idea of that I'm extremely passionate about, this idea of access. And access, there really isn't one universal definition, but in this context, I'll talk about it from, you know, having access, if you're a startup, having access to direct customers, direct customers that actually want to solve a particular problem, that are willing to actually champion it, willing to put resources behind it. So having access to customers, having access to strategic partners that can kind of advance you through those, you know, I'll call it the gauntlet, and then also having access to funding because 
growing within healthcare and just trying to survive within healthcare costs money. So that's one aspect that's incredibly important. And it's, I, I continue to spend my life refining and getting better at how to get access. And then the other aspect, which healthcare innovation really hinges on is leadership. And this idea that as a leader, we're having leaders that are coming into very influential positions, maybe much like the one that you're in right now, where I wouldn't say that you're tech savvy, rather you're tech dependent, meaning you grew up with a computer, you grew up with a smartphone, you grew up, and as leaders start to get into those positions, they start to realize that not only can we harness technology, but that technology can only be driven through really, really good leadership. Really good leadership matters and embracing innovation as a fundamental differentiator and knowing that it can not only help advance care, but also it can be a way to generate even more revenue for a health system. And look, I'm not going to be shy about it. Look, if there's no money, there's no mission. There's no way that you can help more people. So the way to sustainability is to profit, is to generate revenue, and there are ways to do that through innovation that are oftentimes overlooked. I like the way you said this, that you got to have the leadership and that leadership has to embrace innovation. I'm in a 126-year-old health system. 126-year-old health systems do not pivot on a dime. It is entrenched in tradition and the way we've done it and the, the culture of we want to be incredibly safe and go incredibly slow. So, and that's not unique to my health system. That's that's probably the majority of health systems. Now, there's some out there that have incubator programs that really are looking to be a little more cutting edge. But again, they have those incubator programs. They're in a separate little, usually a separate building. They're in a separate silo. They're protected from the rest of the organization. I get hit up with maybe five to 10 vendor email pitches, phone calls or something, uh, probably a day. How should I go about evaluating which ones of these are real are the real deal? Which ones of these should I engage with and which ones aren't going to be too far on the bleeding edge that's going to scare the pants off of uh, my executive team? Hmm. So what you're describing there, Mark, is um, a common problem that many, many startups have. And again, it's this problem around access. And if you're thinking about this from there's there's two aspects here. One is the entrepreneur, which is the problem that they're solving, they believe, is the most important problem to solve. Now, oftentimes, that's actually not the case when it comes to you receiving that email. Because on your, on your desk, you probably have another 50 issues that are going on in your world. And depending upon where that problem falls on that stack, and I call it the problem priority stack, is really going to be dependent upon whether or not you'll probably want to take a meeting with them. So the way that it, the way that you know we kind of look at it is when you're evaluating and looking at problems, kind of like a classical consulting model, you look at, all right, what are all these issues? How much of the are these issues actually costing us as a system? And then when you kind of prioritize those problems based on the amount that it's costing the system, then you look at, all right, which of these can we actually solve without having to reconfigure everything, without having to deploy massive amounts of resources, but which of these do we feel 
based on data and information and what we know with resources that are available, can we solve to actually make an impact? Because oftentimes solutions, or at least the folks that are healthcare solutions providers feel like they can go in there and make these big sweeping changes. But what happens is when you, when you interrupt and you disrupt workflow, it actually creates more work for those end users and they end up not utilizing the software, the technology, the services, there's workarounds. And that just, that just really adds to the problem. It's not necessarily looking at it from the lens of you. And by the way, you know, it's not just you who's dealing with these issues. You have to look at it from, there are multiple stakeholders. There are those that directly are feeling the problem that are dealing with every single day. And then there's quote unquote, you know, the ultimate decision maker, maybe the CFO who's looking at like the fact that there's, you know, 13% attrition rate with nurses. I mean, that's a major, major problem that most hospitals have. And, you know, wouldn't you want to be able to say, hey, what if we were able to take that number from 13% and bring it down to 5%? You know, the average mm-hmm. cost of replacing a nurse is around $80,000 a year. Well, that's real tangible change. So how high is that one on your problem priority stack? If it's pretty high and someone happens to send you a message and you have it at the top of mind and that's something that you believe that you want to kind of look at for this year, then maybe you'll take that meeting. So that's sense? why tens of thousands of emails are hitting all the CMIOs and CIOs out there. I'm um, just trying to hope that the timing is right. It does make sense. I get it. I get it. So everyone, I say everyone, lots of healthcare systems have incubators or some kind of startup process or a shark tank kind of uh, creation. And I don't, I don't have one of those. And, but I still have to be innovative. Our, our hospital system has to innovate or we just can't survive and can't compete. We got to be able to bring new technologies in. So if it's not done through an incubator, what are your thoughts here? Should, I mean, should everyone create an incubator or do you partner with one or do you just read the latest of who's doing what and say, Oh, that one sounds good. What do you think? A few thoughts here. I'm a firm believer of looking at other areas, other health systems that are similar to yours that you see that are having success with innovation. And I'm all about collaboration. And instead of starting with a blank canvas, it's always nice to reach out to some peers and ask them, hey, you know, what are some of the best practices that you're working on? How has this worked for you? So from a collaboration standpoint, innovation and collaboration go hand in hand. So I'm all about having transparency, being open, sharing best practices, because that ultimately is what's going to make things better. With, in terms of incubators, I do think that they have a place. However, you know, not all the time. But imagine just being able to you know, reach out to one of your fellow peers. Maybe they have an innovation arm within their hospital. Maybe they have a venture office within their hospital. And by the way, there's, there's plenty of uh, venture arms that are out there that are associated with hospitals and some that just do pure you know deployment of of funds but they end up not being able to support some of these startups meaning getting them access to various areas of a hospital or helping them you know really refine the business model there's more to it and sometimes you know incubators aren't going to help you with that it might provide you some access but when you're talking about being able to get full access being able to get feedback being able to refine your product to make iterations that that's more of a partnership and there's a handful of health systems that are doing that at at really cool levels and you're starting to see some 
really amazing results and some some tangible change. Who do you think is a leader in uh, Cedar Sinai? Comes to mind when I when I think about innovation. I guess maybe Cleveland Clinic. But what about in your mind? Who who you may know better here? Who's the who's the leader in this? Well, I mean, you, have, well? You, you know, you have your you know your you know there's different tiers. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have your well-known brand name folks that you know unless you're living under a rock, you don't you know you don't know what that brand name is. However, you know, not everyone plays in that echelon, and there are other you know, let's just call them tier two, tier three type health systems, that their approach to innovation is quite unique. One one that comes to mind that I think is really interesting is Cone Health. And they're, they're based out of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the way that they view innovation is really neat in the sense that they have areas that they know that they want to innovate in. And then they also understand that there are startups that want to have access into their health system. So what they do from an investment standpoint is they engage with startups based on the problems that they want to solve. And that just comes from the fact that their venture office has very close ties into the C-suite of the hospital, also to various departments and sort of understanding what these problems are. And then they then go out and source various startups and bring them into the health system through you know innovation participation agreements which are essentially paid pilots and for those paid pilots and for reaching certain milestones and by growing helping those companies grow they actually take uh, an actual stake within those companies so all of the incentives are aligned the entrepreneur gets what they want which is having access and having full access and having you know feedback and having utilization data and all that good stuff that you need in order to be able to make a product that your customers absolutely fall in love with. And then from a hospital standpoint, they are now saying that, look, we've got a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that this pilot is really well, because if this pilot is really well, then we can not only take more equity within this company, but we can also bring it to our other sister hospitals, continue to expand it. Oh, by the way, we know other health, you know, health systems that we can bring this to and they're winning. And who knows, maybe you have, some really great stories of success where those companies continue to grow and then maybe they get sold and that becomes another revenue stream for them. And Hmm. that's all being done by, you know, making sure that all the stakeholders are equally aligned. And that's something that I haven't necessarily seen before, but it's very, very unique and it works very, very well. So Cone just got bought by, or they're merging with Centera Healthcare, which is where Mm -hmm. I came out of. Mm -hmm. And Centera had a venture capital arm. It wouldn't do early stage, though. You had to have almost $10 million to uh, even show up on the radar of our venture capital arm. And mm-hmm. we were early investors in like MDVIP, the telehealth company. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. That partnership can be, can be flawed at times. Um, the adoption of the product, you're, the, the entrepreneur is expecting when you kind of jump in with a health system, hey, you're going to use this product. And yet the end users, they weren't involved in that decision. And they may go, eh, not so excited about what you're trying to bring here, which kind of leaves a little bit of tension. I've seen that in other areas. What what advice do you have for both the entrepreneur or the, or the health system as they're working on this relationship the, the early dance. We're making the connection. We're going to talk about what we're going to do for each other. What does that look like? I'm a firm believer in the fact that relationships are made or broken in the beginning, not in the end. 
Mm-hmm. And just like as a physician, you, know, you manage expectations of a patient. Similar happens when you have a partnership like this. So you have to ask some calibrated questions in the beginning to say, what happens if we get off track? How do we get back on track? And you know that in any in every partnership, it's all about communication and collaboration. Well, if things don't go right, what do you know? How do we get back on track? And just knowing that from the beginning and letting them know and letting them know that the expectation that look, this you know, no matter how amazing a solution looks, there's always going to be some sort of turbulence. But as long as there's consistent communication, a cadence of accountability to move towards what the actual end outcome result is, then my fundamental belief is that as long as you know how to get back on track and that you can actually get the right people to have those conversations to move things ahead, then anything is possible. And again, that kind of goes hand in hand with the right leadership. If you have someone that's spearheading this project and you know who the stakeholders are and they know that there's accountability across the organization, that people are not only going to utilize the product and utilize the services, but they're also going to be providing, you know, candid feedback and sometimes that feedback admittedly is not what a founder wants to hear but it is the truth at the end of the day what every entrepreneur needs to hear is the truth because sometimes the solution you've created isn't necessarily the solution that your end user is actually going to be able to use to help them cmios do find themselves in this role of being that interface between the startup and the organization I've been in this role in, in at least two organ- two startups that I can think of, but one's not a startup now. One's traded on NASDAQ. Uh, but I am my job is to help the, with the adoption of the tool. The CMIOs do have that relationship with the end users. They The physicians trust us not to bring them vaporware. And so sometimes we do find ourselves in, in kind of sticky situations when the vendors, they do sometimes over-promise and under-deliver. And that can, that can really be challenging for the CMIO. We could really ruin our reputations if we, we bring a dud. Um, or sometimes we just guess how things are going to go wrong. With the MDVIP, we brought that uh, to our providers. The concept was after a doctor sees their patients for the day, maybe they have a couple more patients who just couldn't get in. And, well, they'll just do telehealth visits with them. Well, guess what? Doctors at the end of the day are tired and they want to go home and they got to finish their charts. And so they had no interest in doing telehealth in that matter. Just the concept was flawed. And the relationship with the telehealth vendor uh, was one that we had to pivot and have those discussions. Okay, things are going wrong. What are we going to do next? And I think you're right. How the how that's going to work out, that is so critical. So I, you really highlighted it well, and other CMIOs, I think, should be aware of how important that relationship piece is. Uh, let's go to one, I think we've got time for one more question here, which is, hey, sometimes someone comes up to a CMIO in their organization and says, hey, I've got the best idea, I've got this piece of software or this widget or whatever it is, and... We're going to make it into a billion dollars. This is the next Facebook, man. And so, you know, the doctors always, they're, they're big eyes. So what does the CMIO do when someone approaches them with this idea? We don't want to be dream killers. We may love it. We may hate it. But regardless, what do we do with it? 
so because you're seen as an influential person, it, it you know, everyone feels as if they've got the next greatest app that's out there. And quite often, I, I deal with this a lot myself. And there's a, if, if you have a personal relationship with that person, you know, what a friend would do is you say, man, that's, that's awesome. Good, good job. However, you know, being in your seat and just knowing the amount of responsibility that you have on your shoulders and what's at stake is that what's at stake is you could eventually bring something in that really has a major, major impact on an organization in a not so good way. And you have to really put things through a matrix of whether or not they can even be talked about. So kind of like investors, you know, they've got a series of a matrix and you look at it from a completely unemotional point of view. And I know that that's difficult to do or difficult for entrepreneurs to hear is the fact that like when they are pitching investors, when they are pitching customers, with all due respect, the customers, they don't really care about their solution. What they care about is their problem and what's mm -hmm. going on in their world. And the closer that an entrepreneur or healthcare solutions provider can get to understanding the problems that are going on inside the world of their potential customers, people that are going to use this software or benefit from their software or their services, whatever it might be, the better off they're going to be. So in terms of you listening to someone saying, hey, I've just got this amazing application, I think you have to really flip it and say, hey, that's interesting. What particular problem is your solution solving? And flip it on them and have them describe to you what the problem is that they are really tackling. And if they cannot illustrate the problem in a very concise and clear way, then you will know that their solution probably isn't fully built out or fully vetted because they don't know the depth of the problem. So one thing that we do when we're working with early stage startups is we take them through this problem tree exercise. So you think of a tree and you think of the trunk of a tree. We say, all right, what is the main problem that you're solving? List that problem out. Now the branches of the tree, these are other sub-problems that sprout off of that other particular problem. So now, once you kind of get a clear picture as to what all of those issues are within the environment, and you can then illustrate what those issues are and then take those problems and turn them into solution statements, problem statements and solution statements, now you can actually have a real constructive conversation. The worst thing that you can do is go in and start pitching a solution when you don't necessarily know what's going on inside of the world of the person you're trying to sell something to. You think you have an idea, but you want to validate that. So the way that you can do that and defend sort of your time and guard your time is just by having people illustrate to you, well, tell me about this problem. Tell me what this issue is. How is this impacting me and my organization? And if they can give you a very clear, concise answer, then I think you've kind of checked the box to say, okay, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper. Let's talk for a little bit more. And if they can't, you can just say, look, if you're not able to describe to me what this problem is in depth and in detail, how do I know that you actually have a solution for it? Mm -hmm. That's good advice. I like that. CMIOs, 
there, most of us are self-taught. There's not a lot of schooling. There is a board certification in it, uh, which is very academic focused in my mind. They don't cover things like, hey, how do you make your organization innovative? As someone, let's say there's a new CMIO out there and they don't have experience starting up a company. How should they get up to speed with working with entrepreneurs, working with startups, and staying current on innovation, what advice would you give a brand new CMIO? Man, if someone's coming into the job, I think the first thing that they're trying to do is uh, get a lay of the land, get a mm -hmm. really good lay of the land and understand where, where are the issues, where's the friction. And once you sort of understand where those friction points are, I think then you can then start looking at the innovation community, the startup community, and start doing some diligence and research. The one thing that I think is important is making sure that in any startup that you're engaging with is that there is some sort of proof of performance. And if, if a startup doesn't have any case studies or things that sort of back it, then it becomes a question of, well, how much risk are you willing to take on? Which is probably why you see many CMIOs going with some you know, big brand name organizations because they know that you know, there's a safer bet that they'll be able to actually you know, work through some of those issues as opposed to making a very big risky bet and it not panning out. And if it doesn't pan out, you know, more often than not, you know, their livelihood is at risk. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about it from the human side of change. What are people sort of evaluating when they're making some of these decisions? It's, it's more or less, you know, they're, they're making a bet. And when they're making a bet on a startup that doesn't necessarily have, you know, proof points, then that's a pretty risky bet. Whereas if they have maybe one or two, then that sort of helps them feel a little bit at ease and they're mitigating that risk. So understand the lay of the land. Once you understand what your, what your core issues are, where you think that your organization wants to kind of innovate, and you've got buy-in also from other executive leaders, then you can start sort of assembling folks and, and listening to people that are, that are having those issues within your organization. Maybe they've done a lot of the hefty research for you. And more often than not, people that are living and breathing and feeling this problem, they probably have gone out and done quite a bit of research on potential solutions. So sometimes the solutions are right underneath your nose. So don't overestimate your team and what they know and what's out there. So I think that's something that oftentimes might be overlooked. So that's kind of where I would start. I would start close to home. And then if you're really uncomfortable, reach out to a fellow colleague, you know, leverage LinkedIn, folks that are doing really interesting things. Don't be scared to reach out and say, hey, I really admire what you're doing at a distance and would love to maybe catch up on a virtual coffee someday and pick your brain about some things. And for those that can make the time and that's, I mean, those are, those are priceless. So I think the world's going to be better if folks are open to collaborating and sharing some best practices and moving things ahead slowly but surely. Michael, this has been a great conversation. I don't want to hold you beyond the time I promised here, but Thank you for just giving us that kind of that insight into the startup world that we don't get to touch into all that much. And your insights here were really, really good. If people want to get in contact with you to learn more about innovation or understand more about this space, what, uh, what's the best way to get you? So the easiest way to get me right now is you can reach me on LinkedIn, Michael Stamatinos. Just click in, 
um, open to having conversations, you can go to my website, michaelstammo.com. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. (music) 